Please take your Bibles if you would and either turn in them with pages or through your screen to Colossians and you might think for the last time but for the next to last time for us as a church body before we dive into the dozen or so verses that we have left before us today I want to say that I really hope last week's text and message uh, will not quickly fade from your memory. I certainly didn't preach it to the level that I was hoping that I would, but regardless of that, it is such an important charge to believers and such an important way First Street Bible Church, I believe, needs to grow yet. So I want to just remind you again what we saw there starting in verse 2. May God keep growing. Faith First Street Bible Church's prayer life, our steadfastness, our watchfulness, our thankfulness, and our praying for each other, verses 3 and 4, that God will open doors of gospel opportunity and that we will, in those open doors, Declare the mysteries of Christ clearly, vividly. Verse 5, that will increasingly live our lives and spend our time here wisely toward outsiders, those who don't yet know Christ as King and haven't entered into the kingdom of God by faith and repentance. And then finally, verse 6, that we would in all of this seek to Speak words that are seasoned with God's salt of grace. And remember grace here as you see it again at the very end of the letter in a little while. And that through that, God will give us the wisdom to answer every single person with gospel-seasoned words and wisdom. One other passage I wish we would have looked at last week. So if you... Journal your notes and you bring them each week. You can just flip back a page and add Matthew 10, 16 to 20. Uh, If not, you're going to have to somehow find a way to get that back. My OCD will be like, oh no, how am I going to get this with last week's notes? But just this both encouragement and warning. Behold, Jesus said as he sent the 72 out in pairs, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So... Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they'll deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake. And here's why. To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you, here's verse 6 of Colossians 4. Don't be anxious how you're going to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Isn't that great? So, let's keep studying the gospel. This was our, where we landed last week. Keep enriching, and that's the bulletin today. But we have so many other resources. Read books on it. Uh, read articles. Listen to podcasts. Listen to sermons. Keep taking it in. Keep sharpening each other with it. Keep watching for tracks and bulletins and other things that just keep enriching and stuffing your gospel wallet so that 
It'll be more and more on our lips, so we'll be more and more like him, and we'll live our lives more holy for him. Or, if you want alliteration, may the gospel be on our lips, in our lives, and make us in his likeness. So now we come to the last section of Colossians, verses 7 to 18, which seems like a whole bunch of names, mostly that we either don't recognize at all, who in the word is, is Nymphia, or that we know very little about or just can pull up a few facts about. So it's easy, it's tempting to just kind of close the book, the letter, be done. I mean, Paul's done with directly teaching us doctrine about Christ or giving us duty and commands for Christ. But God has preserved these words. God chose to make the Bible, the New Testament, full of letters to churches and to bodies of believers and to include these greetings because he has much to teach us through them. So let's ask God today about what he would have us to see here and to learn here. A couple of preface things that I hope are helpful for this. Number one, God writes amazing stories. Redemption stories. For every sinner he redeems. Every sinner who comes to him realizing they're sinful and that the consequences are that, that cut off from God. Beholding, hearing the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done to pay for that and to make it possible to be reconciled and made right with God and actually made righteous in God's sight through faith in his son and believing on him, turning from sin in order to follow him and live lives for him. God writes amazing stories. And though the Bible is a revelation of God to us, the way God has chosen to often do that is to weave his story in with stories of people. From Adam and Eve all the way through all the Jews and the nation of Israel and all their stories throughout the Old Testament and encapsulated in Hebrews 11. And then through Jesus and his life and the four Gospels and then in all the epistles through the apostles and the churches that are established. God tells all these stories, not so we'll praise the people, including Paul, but so that we will give more praise to our God for what he is doing through these people that he redeems. Today, 10 human names. Three churches or communities that all are not the main focus of God, even though we'll spend time talking about each of them, but really ultimately are going to be like everything else in Colossians, means for us to behold Christ and what he has done in such diverse people for his glory's sake. One other note, God's team. I think part of what we see here is that Believers, Christians, followers of Christ doing evangelism, as verses 2 through 6 emphasize, and missions are almost always more effective, long-term, fruitful by working in a team than just out on their own. Jesus certainly modeled this for us by working daily with a whole cadre of people with unique stories as he called them to himself and trained them. 
The 12 apostles bonded together for years in Jerusalem together. And then even Paul, first with Barnabas and John Mark, and then with Silas, and then building a whole network, which is really what we're seeing at the end of this letter. God generally doesn't send people out solo because the warfare is intense and great and the work is difficult. He sends us out at least in twos and often as a whole team. And that team, he unites and bonds together in some really precious and powerful and beautiful ways. Ten days in Kenya with four other people from our body and the couple from our body that's there serving full time. The eight of us bonded in ways where our relationship will never be the same the rest of our lives. Nine people in Israel with the two missionaries that we have there. Jonathan talked this week in text about how the bonding has been developing and happening throughout that. Uh, I can remember when I was growing up in Vietnam, the Alliance sent out hundreds of missionaries, well, dozens and dozens and dozens, I think well over 100 missionaries to that one country to just blitz it with the gospel, and there was incredible teamwork. Even a church like this is intended by God to be drawn together, united, bonded, and as a team to move forward and fulfill the mission and the will that God has for us. So what we see at the end of Colossians 3 is still true today. Our names could be written where these names have been written as part of what God is doing in incredible ways to tell an incredible story of Jesus Christ. Outline, if you want it very quickly, it's not going to be a driving thing within what we do, but first verses 7 through 9 just identify um, the two carriers of the letter. Then Paul sends six different greetings in verses 10 to 14, then finishes out in 15 to 17 with his own greetings as well as some final instructions. As we look at this last one-eighth of the letter in one sermon, let's ask God to bless it. Again, Lord, as we often pray, we believe again this morning that all Scripture, including this last half of Colossians 4, has been breathed out by you through Paul's pen and is now before us because it is immensely profitable for our spiritual gain. So may you teach us more about you and your ways. May you reprove and correct us where we needed through these people's stories. May you train us in righteousness through all of this big picture look. And may you use these words to make us equipped, fully complete and mature and whole for every good work in Christ Jesus. We pray. Amen. So verses 7 to 9, Paul's verification of not just the letter, but the messengers. So the message is important, but for the message to get to the people, there have to be messengers. And the first of these is Tychicus. I'm going to pick a pronunciation, and if it's different than yours, you say it in your head the way you'll remember it. Uh, a gospel or a Gentile convert whom... Paul one time took to Jerusalem in Acts to show a tangible representation to the Jews that Gentiles were being redeemed by God. And Tychicus was an example of that. He 
then just bonded with Paul, a particularly uh, helpful, what we might call personal assistant, sidekick, just willing to do whatever, leaving whatever his life was before and devoting himself to full-time gospel ministry with Paul. It's very likely he at least saw and experienced some of the death threats on Paul, some of the floggings and beatings, some of the arrests, some of the trials, some of the imprisonments. He's so outstanding that at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul commends him as a possible replacement for Timothy. And in Titus, Paul commends him to Titus as a possible replacement or certainly one that will be useful in the ministry. And now he's being entrusted in this passage to tell all about Paul's activities, to tell them exactly so they know how he is, how they all are, and so he will encourage their hearts. So, he's a carrier of the letter. Imagine the responsibility of that. I don't know that he knows the full ramifications of carrying Colossians uh, with him while he travels hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of miles on foot through all kinds of terrain in order to get it here to these believers. And he's to represent Paul, to speak on his behalf, to be as good of an ambassador uh, as he can be for Paul. And a third element is that he has with him Onesimus, the second name that we see in this list. And if you're familiar with the letter of Philemon, Onesimus is a slave who, as a non-believer, ran away from his master Philemon, fled far, and by God's sovereign way brought the gospel to him somewhere, uh, perhaps through Paul. He believed, somehow he got connected to Paul, met him, and Paul exhorted him to go back to Philemon, who also either had become a believer or in some way uh, was connected in the church there as well. And to come back and return and carry out his life there again as a slave. So if you go back to Colossians 3.11, where Paul is emphasizing that there is no difference in, in the church amongst believers between master and slave. Philemon and Onesimus are, very, are names that are attached to some of the meaning of verse 11. Christ is in all and has become all. So Paul gives high commendation to Tychicus, or Tychicus, uh, one as a dearly loved brother, like Proverbs 18.24. There is a friend who sticks, who sticks through thick and thin, and who sticks closer than a brother. That's Tychicus with Paul. Secondly, he's a faithful minister. And by that, he just he, Paul means... He just keeps going. The Energizer Bunny. Lots of people are starters. Lots of people make a big splash for a time, but then often get enticed away, tired, distracted. But, and 2,000 years later, that continues to be the case. Far more start than finish. The faithful are the ones who last, not just when the times are good, great, fun, but when the times are bad, dark, terrifying sadly it's not the norm too often it's the exception so Paul commends him here I was thinking even about 
I'm going to ask you at the end about who are the Tychicuses among us. But uh, I just went back to the first church directory we did here. So this is April 2010. People that were here, people that largely came from another church, and then people that came in from the community. And we started meeting. And so two months in, month and a half in, we made our first directory just to start trying to learn each other's names, etc. In that directory, there were 93 adults. I was startled by that. I didn't remember there being that many in the early months. 93 adults. Now, out of those 93 names... And people have died, people have left for legitimate reasons, some were not believers, but out of those 93 names, 23 are still here. Lots of people start, few finish. About a quarter of who was here at the beginning remains here. I'm so thankful for those 23, not to say that many other faithful ones, you among them, that have joined since then, but time will ultimately prove if we also prove to be faithful ministers, and then the last title is an honorable title, a servant in the Lord, that Tychicus's heart is to serve Christ. Remember Colossians 3.24, the last line of it, which is the, the resounding word to everybody who's a bondservant. You are serving the Lord Christ. King Jesus would be another way to say that. And it's just such a commendable thing to be called, not a leader, though he may have been, not all kinds of other exotic things, all kinds of things that we in America tend to do to make people sound important, a servant. This is a man who will walk a thousand miles to deliver a letter. We have trouble delivering an email. I just went 8,500 miles to Kenya in an airplane, and complained about it all both ways. (laughs) Would I go a thousand miles on foot? I don't think I'm that much of a servant. It's a great honor to be known as a servant of the Lord, a faithful servant. Onesimus we've talked about, and the conclusion is, they'll tell you everything that's taken place. Verses 10 to 14, Paul now sends greetings as he often does, But each of these people has a story that God has written about them. We'll just try to, the ones we know, we'll try to encapsulate very quickly. Just so I pray you feel some of the affection and the way that God has bonded all these workers together. First of all, Aristarchus. And he just describes him as my fellow prisoner. There's another title of distinction. Would we love to have on our resume prisoner for the Lord Jesus. Uh, He's a Jew who had, we think, in Acts, right after Stephen was stoned in Acts 8, and persecution, including by Paul, then Saul, a Pharisee that erupted there. We think Aristarchus took off all the way to Thessalonica. That's a long way. He fled far. Um, But Somewhere along the way, he too, perhaps coming to Ephesus, much like Tychicus, and hearing Paul's teaching and the gospel believed or grew in that time and then began to follow Paul. So it seems he was arrested in Ephesus along with Paul when that riot broke out. And then he could have been in that shipwreck when Paul was sailing to Rome. 
And he seems to be a prisoner with Paul in some capacity here in Rome as well. So such a lesson from Aristarchus that early in our Christian faith, we may run from persecution, but ultimately, as we grow and strengthen in Christ, which is going to be Epaphras' prayer later in this section, we willingly endure them all. Grace transforms us from fleers to fighters for the gospel. Next is Mark. So the fourth of the names here, the second of the Jews that Paul identifies. This is the John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, the one who got to go on the first missionary journey, but also the one who went home. We don't know fully why, but it was a serious enough offense that Paul at that time was done with John Mark, wouldn't take him on the second journey, and took Silas instead, and Barnabas and John Mark went and did another missionary journey. But remarkably, by the end when Paul writes this, but also when he writes 2 Timothy later in chapter 4, he says that Mark is very useful to me in ministry. And when he says he's almost alone in his writing, he says, please send Mark. Mark is also one of the four God chose to record the life, the account of his son. The Gospel of Mark that we just recently walked through as a church. So Mark is a great example of weakness, of frailty. At some points in our serving of God, God doesn't disqualify us. That God redeems that and often makes us even more effective for his service when we stumble, repent, return, experience his forgiveness and his restoration. Fifth is Jesus, justice, which we know nothing else about but greetings here. And what Paul commends about all three of these men is they're the only men of the circumcision, probably meaning of the Jews that are still around him, that are for the kingdom of God, including Gentiles, and they have been a comfort to me. I think he's saying they have the same heart to reach non-Jews as I do, and they have been vital in my ministry, and they have so comforted my heart. Probably in times of discouragement, frustration, uh, disappointment, these men have come along, spoken the truth to his soul, as Sam Storm said, reminded him daily of God's faithfulness and goodness and the heavenly reward that lay ahead. Three more people that Paul sends, says, sends greetings. The first one is a particularly loved man by the Colossian church, and that's Epaphras. So this is the same guy back in chapter 1, almost a year ago, that we talked about. He's there described in verses 7 8 of chapter 1 as the servant and minister of Christ from whom they learned the gospel and who told Paul about their commendable faith and love. So again, he probably heard Paul in Ephesus, about 100 miles away from Colossae, and learned the gospel, studied under him, got that little seminary degree while he was with Paul there, came back to his community, started sharing this gospel news of Jesus Christ that he had heard. Many believed, they formed a group, began to worship God. Perhaps Epaphras pastored them, or at least was an integral leader within all of that. Um, but two qualities about Epaphras that Paul notes here at the end of the letter that are so good for us. How he prayed and how he worked. 
and how we combine those two. They often don't go hand in hand in people. Often there's people who are stronger in prayer and weaker in actually doing. And then there's lots who are stronger in actually doing, but much weaker in prayer. Epaphras found that balance, caring for every single believer, not just praying light, perfunctory prayers, God bless everybody in our church body, but struggling, Paul says. The word he uses is struggling, wrestling on your behalf, perhaps even praying more fervently for their needs than some of the people prayed for their own needs. He just was a prayer warrior. And secondly, at the same time, he didn't just lock himself in a prayer closet. Paul says he worked hard for you and for another community near Laodicea and for another community or the valley of Hierapolis. So Epaphras has a big circle in which he is ministering. And note what he prays. I think it's a tremendous way for us to pray that we need to learn to pray more. That the believers will stand mature. Remember that's the emphasis from which we've drawn First Street Bible Church's vision from Colossians 1.28 that we proclaim everything so that everyone will be mature in Christ. So Epaphras is praying that as well. That they'll be mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That they'll be confident believers, unwavering, that they won't be overwhelmed with doubt, but they'll be fully assured God's purposes, God's will must be lived out, whatever his plans and his purposes are. And I included verses 9 and 11 from chapter 1, which was Paul's prayer for the Colossian church. And just note that both of these men are praying similarly for this. May we learn from the model example of Epaphras here. May our own prayers be expanded more for others. And may we work hard in the midst of praying hard for people for the sake of Christ. Seventh person listed is Luke. And this is uh, the beloved physician who sends his greeting. So this is Paul's traveling companion. Um, perhaps personal medical we wouldn't call him a trainer, probably more just doctor treating him after all of the stuff that his body got abused with. And scribe, historian, record keeper. Uh, and if you, it's kind of cool. Between Luke and Paul, Luke probably wrote about as much as Paul did in our New Testament. Luke was two books that we have, Luke, the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Paul with his dozen or so letters. But between the two of them, they probably make up about 60% or more of the New Testament. And Luke is just faithful. By 2 Timothy 4, so later in time, Paul writes at one point when he calls for Mark to be brought, Luke alone is with me. So we have much to thank God for through, for in this man, Luke. And then... The sixth name for sending greetings is Demas, or Demas. Again, at this point, a valuable co-laborer. I think we would put him in the same camp as Epaphras and Tychicus in terms of just being men who were faithful, uh, serving and helping in whatever way. But God records one line later, again, in um, 2 Timothy 4, where he says, Demas 
in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Paul doesn't say he quit on Jesus, but he quit on Paul. He quit on the ministry. He loved what this world offered more than he loved all-out devotion to serving the Lord. Demas teaches us that some start really well, but don't finish well. Good word here from Sam Storms. The Christian life is a marathon, so let's be careful and not play, place excessive responsibility on those who do well at first, nor give up on those who appear to have slipped at the starting line. Good word for several people within this list. Done now with the greetings, Paul, uh, from the teammates, Paul now um, passes on his greetings, my greetings, uh, starting in verse 15, particularly to churches. First of all, to the brothers, to the believers at Laodicea, one of the seven churches in Revelation as well that doesn't have a good ending. But at this point, Paul is greeting them and writing to them and wanting them to be included in everything that's being said here to the Colossians. And then he also notes a house church, perhaps more rural, uh, not as big, uh, which is hosted by Nympha. Uh, we th- it could be a man's name, could be a woman's name. We think it's a woman's name. Um, but lots of mystery about this. We just aren't given a lot of detail, but she seems to have opened up her home for believers, a small group of believers, to begin to gather there and to grow. I would call her, in our situation, a life group leader, somebody who's opening their home so a group of believers can gather, worship God, study his word together, pray together, encourage each other together. But it's also the way the house churches or the really tiny churches are the way God's spreading his church in Israel, and I'm just naming countries where we're at, in Africa, in Siberia, where Megan Moore works with the even people, in Laos, where John and Katie Leachens are, up in the mountains, in the tribal people. So many places where God is using these small gatherings of believers and working with them. And here, Paul is wanting to encourage that just because you're a smaller group, maybe really rural, maybe hardly anybody knows about you, I send my greetings to you. I want you to know I'm just as concerned about you and your growth as I am about anybody in this process. And he wants, in verse 16, this letter to be read among all those groups of believers and uh, in the church and whatever the letter from Laodicea is, whether that's a letter Paul wrote, a letter they wrote, uh, but he's wanting that to be shared as well. And just Paul's burden here for churches not just individuals, though he has that, but for churches. In fact, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, I should have put this one up. He says, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He didn't have favorites. He didn't have favorite preachers. He didn't have favorite pastors, music styles, building styles, ministries, whether for children, youth, or otherwise. He cared about each and every group of believers that they were matured in Christ. And finally, Paul now gives, after all these greetings, all these other words, a single, simple, but I think very important word to a particular individual. Again, 
Lots of mystery about Archippus. Who is he? What's going on? What's the ministry? We don't know. Whether it was Archippus was struggling and perhaps wanting to quit, and Paul got wind of that. Perhaps it was a particularly challenging thing. Perhaps he's just starting out as a young pastor. We, we don't know the details, but just the need here for him to fulfill the ministry he's received from the Lord. We all can grow weary. We all can struggle about when do we end a ministry? When do we hand a ministry off? And when do we need to just shut up and bear down and fulfill the ministry, no matter what, for the Lord's sake? So, whatever your spiritual gifts, verbal, physical, whatever your role, whatever your ministries you're involved with, whatever ways you are serving Christ, fulfill it in the Lord. Work hard in his strength. Do the best you can. Finish it out. Remember the end of Colossians 1, where Paul says, I am working hard, but it's all ultimately, actually, the grace of God empowering me in all of this. And last of all, Paul sends his personal greeting and asks again for prayer. So, Paul dictated most of his letters, uh, various theories about that, but always seemed to want to sign off with his own handwriting at the end, which... For many of us, including today for us, becomes a benediction or a blessing upon a people, a church. But in this, he also puts a three-word sobering charge for prayer. Remember my chains. He reminds them, you're free. Remember that I'm chained. I'm limited. But even when there is suffering, and I would take you back to chapter 1, to verse 24, where he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. We could say, I rejoice in my chains. And notice he says, for your sake. It's certainly for Christ's sake, but it's also for the church's sake, for fellow believers. And this, as far as we know, is a group of believers he never personally met. But he saw himself as being chained in Rome for the sake of the Colossian church as one of the many recipients of that blessing. And this is just another very practical way of why we're bringing Voice of the Martyrs magazine into our literature is that God does want us not only to remember the cross of Christ for our salvation, but the chains of his servants who are persecuted for standing for him. And to prayerfully uphold those and to let them be an example that should God bring that our way, we are ready and we will seek in all of it to be faithful to him. And he finishes with the benediction, grace be with you. Same way that he opened the letter back in chapter 1, verse 2. Same way he closes so many letters. It truly is ultimately all about grace, God's undeserved but beautiful and powerful grace towards sinners like Paul and Tychicus and me and you. John noted when he was summarizing in John 1 the ministry of Jesus that what stood out was glory, glory of a man full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, what Colossians 2 emphasizes, his fullness in him, in us, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace.
God writes amazing stories of every one of those people that he redeems, weaving it into his own story. Not so we receive praise. Too many testimonies are about what we did, but so that more praise is given to him. The purpose of evangelism, the purpose of missions is that ultimately all the redeemed voices will declare in a mighty unison, our God is great and greatly to be praised. Here's just one modern quick example from just this week. Um, hang on just a second with that quote. This is uh, Tim Keller's funeral service, which is three months after he passed away from cancer, written by Cassie Watson. Here's what she said at the beginning, and then we'll go to her finishing thoughts. It's been three months since Tim Keller went to be with his Savior. Countless tributes have been written. People have extolled his compelling preaching. They've credited his writing with overcoming their doubts and bringing them to faith. They've told stories of small unseen moments where Keller genuinely took an interest in them, listened patiently, and met them with compassion and gospel truth. His exemplary skills in teaching, writing, and strategizing for the gospel have been commended as much as his humble, loving, and Christ-like character. Now, but none of those qualities or achievements was most prominently displayed at his memorial service. All who spoke clearly loved Keller deeply, but they loved Jesus more. And so they fulfilled Keller's wishes to have a service focused primarily on proclaiming, there it is again, the grace of Christ in the gospel. And then she challenges us to live our lives also convicted of the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ like these 10 individuals at the end of Colossians are convinced of as well. God uses all of us as part of his plan, his way of working, to bring people to know him and then to grow them in the church for his glory's sake. So who, this is going to be hard to say all these names plural because a lot of men in S, but ignore that, get to the point. Who are the Tychicuses of First Street Bible Church? Is it you? Who are the people who are willing to leave everything behind in order to do whatever is asked of them? Just faithful, humble servants doing the hard stuff, no matter what's asked. Who are the Epaphrases of First Street Bible Church? Who is so gospel-consumed that they will share it with their community no matter what? Who wrestles in prayer for other believers to be built up in the Lord? And who works hard even as he prays for them? Who are the Onesimuses of First Street? The ones God asked to do incredibly costly things for the sake of his name, but who have a powerful testimony because of it. Who are the marks of First Street who stumble perhaps as younger believers but become invaluable disciples over time? And conversely, are there Demases among us? Those who start well, but somewhere the lure of the world draws them away from service to Christ. Who are the Lukes willing to leave big money and luxury in order for gospel service with ministers of the gospel? Who are the Nymphas who will open their home to host believers scattered? Who are the Archippuses needing to hear, fulfill your ministry in the Lord? And who are the Pauls 
the leaders who invite help, who build teams, who train and trust, encourage and send workers out for the sake of God. What is God's grace doing in you? And what is it doing in this body? How do we need to stand assured in the will of God as he writes our stories? Lord, thank you so much for the letter of Colossians, for our privilege to take a year to study it, and even for the rich truths here that we just skimmed over. Thank you for these stories, for the lessons we can learn from them. And I pray that you will continue to write our stories, to build our team, to send us out, to use us in whatever ways you want to, each of us uniquely, all of us together as a team, for the glory of our great Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.